0: Welcome, I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your Calls One Planet series. The biggest dam removal in the United States is underway. Last week, members of the Yurok, Klamath, and Karup tribes in Northern California and Southern Oregon celebrated as the Iron Gate Dam on the Klamath River began its deconstruction. The remaining two reservoirs upstream of the Iron Gate Dam are scheduled to start draining over the next three weeks, at which time the waterway will be unshackled, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. Native American communities in the Pacific Northwest, along with environmentalists, have fought for more than two decades to remove the river's four hydroelectric dams, which they say have devastated the salmon population that they've subsisted on for thousands of years. Historically, salmon runs averaged 880,000 annual returning spawners. The runs of Klamath salmon have declined by 90%. Some species, such as chum and pink salmon, are now gone. Coho salmon are listed as threatened under the Federal Endangered Species Act, and spring-run chinook are on the California endangered species list. The 250-mile majestic Klamath River flows from upper Klamath Lake in the high desert of south-central Oregon, crosses the California state line, and empties into the Pacific Ocean. According to a University of Oregon study, many Karuk people stopped eating spring Chinook by the 1970s. Populations of lamprey and sturgeon, other important nutritional staples, also plummeted, and diabetes among tribe members spiked. The dramatic shift prompted the study's authors to argue that the dams on the Klamath are currently responsible for the most significant human rights violation resulting from any dam construction in the United States. By the end of the year, all four dams will be out of the river and some 400 miles of salmon and steelhead habitat will be reopened for the first time in generations. So what does the undamming of the Klamath River mean for Indigenous communities? And how long will it take for a healthy ecosystem to develop in the river and the land that was heavily impacted by the dam's construction? Amy Bowers Cordalis is co founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group, an Indigenous-led conservation organization whose mission is to help Indigenous people protect and restore the natural and cultural resources they rely on to maintain their identity and sovereignty. Amy Bowers Cordalis is a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and fisherwoman whose family still lives at the village of Requa at the mouth of the Klamath River. Amy has played a critical role in the removal of the dams. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for joining us again.
1: Hi, Yacui. Sienna thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you, Amy. The removal of the dams is receiving national media attention. This is the biggest dam removal in the world, not just here in the United States. You and so many others in your community have worked for years to bring these dams down. So how does it feel after decades of campaigning?
1: It's a bit surreal, but um, you know, standing at Iron Gate, watching the tunnel open and the river begin to run free, and the sediment, you know, behind the dam starting to to move its way down through the river, um, it 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 made it very real. So it is real; it is happening. There is no turning back, and. It gives me hope that the the river has a future, the salmon have a future, and importantly, the indigenous peoples along the Klamath River have a future.
0: Amy, for people who have not visited the area, it's about five hours north of San Francisco. Can you just mm-hmm. describe what this looks like and, and what these dams look like? How big are we talking
1: well, so it, it, that's such a good question because the, the river is still wild and free. You know, it's the true north of, of California and it is a, an unpopulated landscape. You know, the river runs through a canyon and it is wild and alive. And then, you know, you get to about river a mile 190 and all of a sudden, there is iron gate dam and iron gate dam stand it's a very big dam um it is you know no salmon passage it is um Built between, you know, connecting, built across the river on a, a canyon there, and and that's the end of the line for salmon, and it's surrounded by all this infrastructure with a spillway and a big tunnel that pulls up water and a powerhouse. So just imagine, you know, you're in this beautiful scenic place where you know at the bottom of the river there's redwoods and. Um, you know, the riparian areas of the river are, are wooded and thick. And, and then all of a sudden, abruptly, kind of out of nowhere, there's this huge Iron Gate Dam, um, and all this infrastructure around it. And so that's, that's what it looks like. And then, of course, behind Iron Gate Dam, you know, there are three other dams, um, you know, that block passage. And it's sort of that same experience of like, wild, and then abruptly all this infrastructure and industrialization and colonization of the river.
0: So these dams were built between 1911 and 1962. Can -hmm. you tell us a bit about history and why these dams were built in the first place? Who was behind this?
1: You know, that's a good question. So it, it was essentially a part of, you know, the idea that we were moving westward and we were industrializing the country. We were, you know, claiming, um, landscapes and rivers and trying to, um, you know, convert them to provide power. Um, and so, there was you know a big movement for hydropower throughout the the whole west and the Klamath River was a part of that um you know the idea was to create hydropower but then also People thought that it would help with flood control too, um, which it didn't. And then in the end, you know, the, the amount of power that was generated from the Klamath hydroelectric facility was, was really small. Um, it was pretty, you know, um, minuscule. And, and then of course it had this huge impact on salmon runs because even though we were on the third largest salmon producing river in the whole lower continental U S and even though there were, you know, tribes like mine, but also the Karuk, the Shasta nations, um, you know, the Klamath tribes up at the top of the river were dependent upon the salmon runs and the health of the river since time immemorial, you know, none of that was considered in the development of these dams. And so, um you know here we had this situation where you know there was all this money invested this idea that we were going to generate power but it was com- it was to the complete detriment of the tribal cultures there and the health of the river
0: and according to reports, the dams provide no irrigation diversions, no drinking right. water diversions, are not operated for flood control, and provide, uh, negligible, very little flood control benefits. Yeah. And they generate a small amount of electricity, less than 2% of Pacific Corps' power portfolio?
1: Right that all of that is true. And then, you know, you couple that. So it, it essentially all those things that you just said demonstrate that those dams were providing a very minimal public benefit and then the harm they were creating was significant because in addition to the tribal cultures, you know, the salmon runs also support offshore commercial fishing. And so, you know, you're you're essentially ruining, you know, destroying tribal cultures, you're destroying offshore commercial fishing um, industries for very little public benefit. And um, you know, once there was sort of this moment um, in the mid-2000s where the the license to operate the Klamath dams expired. And that created a real um, regulatory moment for folks to reevaluate what is the best use of the Klamath River and its resources. And, um, you know, through the last 20 years, we clearly demonstrated that removing the dams was the best way to serve the highest public interest.
0: You know, Amy, can you spend a little time talking about the tribe's relationship with salmon? Because this is something that a lot of non-natives just don't understand. It's not just a fish that we're talking about here. There's just such a deep connection. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, and thank you for the question. Um so the Yurok people and the Karuk people, um, and many of the other indigenous peoples along the Klamath River, they were never relocated during the 1800s and 1900s. And so we, you know, in my family, we have stayed in the same village at the mouth of the Klamath River since time immemorial. And we have fished the same, you know, wild runs of salmon since the beginning of time. And my, you know, my dad always says that by now the fish and the Yurok people share the same DNA because we've been coexisting for so long. Every aspect of our life revolves around salmon in, and the river in some shape or form. And it continues to do so to this day. You know, our, our life patterns, the, our economy, our ceremonies, how we, um, recreate, you know, we go to the river and when there are fish, you know, we catch fish if it's, you know, a time of the year when there aren't fish in the river, we are taking care of our gear and we're, you know, maybe canning salmon or smoking salmon. Um You know, so the whole life way revolves around the salmon. Um But then in addition to that, there's one other really important element, which is that, you know, we've, Again, we've it goes back to we've been in this place since the beginning of time, and in our own creation story, we learn that the creator essentially made you know the land and the water and the river and the species um, for us. But we have to live in a balance with it, and if we did that, we would always have what we needed. And in that um, sort of a, a initial sort of creation, and in that initial agreement. We agreed to take care of the salmon. We agreed to be stewards of the river and to enjoy the great privileges of being the beneficiary of all of, you know, the Klamath resources, including the salmon. But with that privilege also comes an obligation to take care and to steward the, you know, the river and the salmon. And so when the salmon runs, you know, really started declining and as early as like, you know, the late 1990s, that's when the tribe really started moving its inherent sovereignty and its, you know, modern tribal government resources to exercise that original obligation to steward the river to, you know, to, to take care of the fish. And that, that's a big part of what led us to this,
0: this moment of dam removal. The numbers are really incredible. To think that historically salmon runs averaged 880,000 annual returning spawners. Mm -hmm. Then the runs of Klamath salmon declined by 90%. Yeah.
1: And some say it's even more. You know, some accounts say that there's single digit percentage of the historic salmon runs left. Yeah. So, you I mean, imagine, you know, and there's stories um, about how you could literally walk across the river on the backs of salmon. And, you know, the Yurok people played a key role in managing those salmon runs to get to that level of health. Right. In Aboriginal times, we had um, our own tribal laws that governed how we caught the fish and when we caught the fish and also governed how we interacted with the river to make sure that it stayed healthy to help those fish survive. And, you know, through colonization in the last, uh, you know, 100 or, well, really 200 years, um, we've tried to continue to protect the river, but Things off of our reservation, of course, the dams, also the federal reclamation project at the top of the river, um, you know, really have harmed the river. And that's why the fish are in such bad condition now.
0: It, there's all, there are also other issues harming the river, right? It, it's yeah. not just the dam. You've got lots of animal agriculture in the area have also affected the river.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it's the impacts of colonization. So, you know, you had the dams that were built in the middle of the river, but even before that, you know, the gold rush, the mid Klamath area was a, you know, big area where there was a lot of gold mining. And so on some of the key tributaries to the, the mainstay in Klamath, there was, you know, dredging and a lot of, um, you know, just habitat. Degradation from, from gold mining. And then, you know, you couple the dams, but then also at the top of the river, the headwaters of the river, um, in 1905, the, um, excuse me, federal reclamation, the Klamath Federal Reclamation Project was, Built and that completely redid what you could call the, the plumbing of how the, the headwaters of the river started and worked together. And, and then on top of that, you know, they turned about 200,000 acres of wetlands Mm -hmm. um, into agricultural lands. And then over the past, you know, 100 or so years, they've been applying chemicals. They've been diverting water away from the river. And so, Now, where we are now is essentially the habitat of the whole Klamath Basin is in peril. It's been, you know, just harmed from all of this development. And so, you know, dam removal is a huge step in restoring the ecosystem's health. But then also, you know, our next steps are... We need to do habitat restoration projects throughout the whole basin. And then we also need to to get back to a more um, natural hydrograph
0: through the river um, that
1: is more like what the species have evolved with.
0: Today, we're speaking with Amy Bowers Cordalis, co-founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group. Their mission is to help indigenous people protect and restore the natural and cultural resources they rely on to maintain their identity and sovereignty. Amy Bowers Cordalis is a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and fisherwoman whose family still lives at the Requa village at the mouth of the Klamath River. Amy has played a critical role in the removal of the dam. Amy, can you tell us a bit more about what went into all of this activism? Well, I guess the other question is, you know, who, who, who was actually behind these dams? I mean, can you just explain the corporations and what you all were up against? And who supported the dams? We
1: were up against the richest man in the world, Warren Buffett. Um, At one point, well, actually still um, Warren Buffett's um, companies own the dams. And, um, you know, so when we started evaluating how do we remove those dams, the grassroots efforts and the activism was a key component of that. And, um, you know, folks from the river, indigenous peoples who are extremely brave, very smart, very savvy, they traveled all over the world to protest at the board meetings of companies like um Scottish Power and Berkshire Hathaway and, you know, for a very long time. Put their lives, um, you know, and, and their, their liberty at, at risk. Um, you know, they, they were not well received. People didn't want to hear from them. Um, but, you know, they kept showing up advocating for climate Dam removal. And that paid, played a key role in setting the, the political pressure that then led to, you know, some of this regulatory work around the license to operate the dams expiring that then we were able to, to sort of mobilize to to do the legal work to create the change for dam removal.
0: And so tell us more just about this activism. And it took decades, but what would you say was the tipping point? At what point did they say, okay, we're, we're coming to the table? How did that all play out?
1: You know, um it really was people working in big and small ways over decades to, to sort of get to where we are. And a key tipping point was that, um, there was, you know, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission proceeding for relicensing of the Klamath dams. And in the late 2000s, those proceedings reached a point where, um, Burke was going to recommend relicensing, but a condition of the relicensing was that um, fish passage had to be installed on the dams. And so then there was an economic analysis completed by the dam owners um, about whether or not it was cheaper to remove the dams or cheaper to install the fish ladders and the fish passage they had to do in order to get the license to operate the dams. And the result of that economic analysis was dam removal was cheaper Mm. than the the fish ladders. And so from that point, um, the company said, all right, well, let's sit down and let's have a talk about how do we actually remove these dams? And that was a key moment because at that juncture it became the best business decision for pacific or the owner of the dams to remove the dams then to relicense with the additional fish prescriptions
0: what does this mean to the young tribal members
1: Uh, That's such a great question.
0: And we've been talking about that a lot. And I'll I'll ground
1: that in an example. So I have a niece, her name is Kia Wiki, and she is 15 years old. And she is a part of an indigenous youth group that is going to kayak the Klamath River for the first time as a free flowing river. Wow. And she just left um for Chile actually to start her her kayak training and she'll train down there with a group of other indigenous peoples for our kids, youth from the river, then they'll come back up here and um you know prepare to do this historic first run. And, and so we've been talking about what it means for her. And what it means is that she can engage in the river in a way that is fun, that provides joy, that provides, um, you know, happiness and, and that she doesn't have to fight the way that I have fought the way that my father fought the way my, you know, my grandma and my great grandma and so on and so forth. You know, every generation really since, you know, and well, since colonization, um, has had to fight to protect the river. Um, and for basic things like just having, you know, clean water or, um, you know, to, to have a habitat so that the fish could, could survive. We had to fight for those things. And what this means is that this next generation of Yurok people can enjoy the river. Um, and that is huge, you know, going back to how we still maintain a, a fishing based way of life. And so they can go to the river and experience a healthy river. And just the amount of of joy and freedom that will come from that is immense. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing for all of us.
0: Wow. Well, hopefully she will never have to experience the fish kill that you all experienced back in 2002. Um, Just about every article, lengthy article that's been written about this points to that fish kill and how just horrific it was for the tribes, more than... Ten thousand Chinook salmon died in the Klamath River in September two thousand two. The number, I think, was even higher in other articles.
1: Yeah, it's closer. The, the tribe's account is is closer to about 70,000 mm-hmm. adult seventy thousand salmon. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, and people remember that. Oh yeah, that, that was a major, major. I mean, that really galvanized so many people, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, it it and that's well said. That's the right word is that you know, we we have this history of industrialization and colonization of the river where the river, you know, was managed by the federal government and other people for you know, hydropower and agriculture and in 2002 sort of the the worst outcome of all of that came to be where um, essentially, right at the same time when a large adult Chinook salmon run returned home to the river, um, you know, the, the the Bush administration at the time, this is 2002, decided to divert a lot of water to support agriculture at the top of the basin. And the results on the Yurok Reservation when these fish came home was the lowest flows in history. And, um, you know, we, well, they were the lowest flows in history. It was also, you know, September. And so it was a hot year. And what happened was a fish disease called ick spread through the entire run because there was no water. Water quality was, was super bad. And so it just, this fish disease just spread and killed all these salmon and from our you know from Yurok's perspective that was a form of ecocide against the Yurok people because again you know we go back to our relationship with the fish and that our our well-being our our very existence is tied to the fish and so when you know the the federal government you know they knew if they diverted this water that um there was a high likelihood of a fish kill yet they continued to take that action and a bunch of fish died. And so that was an act against our own, you know, well-being as Yurok people. And I think for, for a lot of folks, what, what they took from that experience was like, you know, one, the Yurok people are still suffering from the attacks of colonization. You know, it, it, it's not something that just happened in the 1800s when we were being, you know, murdered, um, you know, by the gold rush and settlers coming in. Like we were still experiencing active, you know, attacks against our well-being. And so Yurok people... Um, you know, it launched entire generations into the movement. I chose law, but other people chose biology. Other people got into, you know, grass, um, roots movements, tribal leadership. And so you had sort of this whole new, um, you know, batch of folks who worked with our elders, who worked with, you know, the existing river warriors to really elevate, the, you know, the cause and the message. But what was also really interesting is that, um, you know, it wasn't just Europe people who were motivated by the fish kill. It was people, you know, biologists who, um, work for the states, work for the federal government. It was leaders who, you know, political leaders, um, working for both the state and the federal governments. It was NGOs, you know, everybody was, was moved by this horrific event and i think that was a part of what brought people together to really try to figure out how do we create a a better future for the klamath and how do we make life here sustainable and um also ask themselves and this is one of my favorite questions what do the fish need <laughs> what do they need to survive hmm. and so you know all those people working together over time that's how we got to to dam removal you know so i i in some way i i think those fish you know they were um what is that word maters or not maters but um you know they 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 gave their lives to then launch this whole movement that has led to the restoration of the river
0: hmm. Well, there's a a very good Washington Post piece about the dams coming down, and they write about Ron Reed, a traditional Karuk dipnet fisherman who threw himself into anti-dam activism after that major fish kill. He brought his son to rallies across the West. Charlie Reed, who's now 29 and a father himself, remembers that fish kill with visceral intensity, the smell of decay hung in the air for days on end. He said, the picture of a pile of fish is still glued in my brain, burned into my brain. Today we are speaking with Amy Bowers Cordalis, co-founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group. Their mission is to help indigenous people protect and restore the natural and cultural resources they rely on to maintain their identity and sovereignty. Amy is a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and fisherwoman whose family lives at the village of Requa at the mouth of the Klamath River, and she's played a critical role in the removal of the dams. You can read more about what is happening in Northern California and Southern Oregon at yourcallradio.org. I should say, what is now Northern California? This is Your Call's One Planet series. We'll be back after this. This is Your Calls, One Planet series. I'm Rose Aguilar. Today we are speaking with Amy Bowers Cordalis about the removal of dams in what is now Northern California and Southern Oregon. Members of the Yurok, Klamath, and Karuk tribes celebrated as the Iron Gate Dam on the Klamath River began its deconstruction. Amy Bowers Cordalis is co-founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group. You can learn more about their work at yourcallradio.org. She's a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and fisherwoman, and has played a critical role in the removal of the dam. So what is next, Amy? The Chronicle is reporting that the remaining two reservoirs upstream of the Iron Gate Dam are scheduled to start draining over the next three weeks.
1: Actually, sooner. Um, so JC Boyle, they blasted a hole in it last week. And so the reservoir there is draining. And then tomorrow they will blast another hole in, um, Copco. And so at that point, you know, the, the river will, will have a, A channel to run free, you know, albeit through dams and holes in the dams. Um, But it, it, you know, that's how the reservoirs will start to drain.
0: Can we talk about what this will mean for the health of tribal people? I mentioned in the intro uh, a study from the University of Oregon, and it was about what happened after Karuk people stopped eating spring chinook in the 70s. And this, this other important staples, lamprey and sturgeon, for example, really plummeted. And at that point, diabetes among tribal members spiked. And the authors say that the dams on the Klamath are responsible for the most significant human rights violation resulting from any dam construction in the United States. And it's so interesting, Amy, because when you look at studies around diabetes and other chronic health issues, tragically, Native people... Their percentage is incredibly high, but that happened for a reason. So can you talk more about that?
1: Well, and the reason is, is that Native people, and certainly this is still true on the Klamath River, um, we continue to have a subsistence-based way of life. You know, that that we fish, we and we are life ways, the way that um, we are raised, the way that we are taught to be and exist, Revolves around which species is in the river when, right? And so, you know, you go out and you catch the, the spring salmon when they are there in the spring. You catch the, you know, fall salmon when they come later in, you know, September and, and August. And then, you know, there are sturgeon, there are steelhead, there's, um, eels, you know, so on and so forth. And so our whole lifeway revolves around that. And that is, still very much, you know, alive. And so if you take take those resources out, right, you take them away, then people are at a loss about what to eat. And you couple that with also, um, you know, the Yurok Reservation, the lower 45 miles of the Klamath River, it, it's a food desert. Right. The closest grocery store to most of the main population centers on the reservation is at least 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's very difficult to have access to healthy foods. And also, you know, you throw in the layer of poverty. A lot of these folks are living well below the poverty line. Um, a lot of homes don't have electricity or running water in their, you know, their houses. And so there's not money to, you know, support a lifestyle of, you know, going back and forth to the grocery store and buying fresh foods and buying healthy foods. And so, you know, what you end up doing is going to the convenience store, you know, the gas station and, you know, buying foods that are, you know, high in sodium, artificial flavors, colors, so on and so forth because that's all that is available to you. Um so it's, you know, it's 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 not good. Um I'll add to that in 2016 it was the lowest salmon run for the fall Chinook um, on record. And that same year at Yurok, there were a string of suicides on the Yurok reservation of tribal members between the ages of 16 and 38. Mm. And, you know, it was clear from that, that, you know, without salmon in the river, Yurok youth didn't see a future. You know, they didn't know how, how to live. And so, you know, that, that's how deep all of that, that is.
0: You know, to that point, Amy, just to talk about how this is all connected and the other issues the tribe is dealing with, back in May, I'm just reading from a Yurok press release. The Yurok Tribal Council issued an emergency declaration in response to the fentanyl and xylazine crisis unfolding on and near the Yurok reservation. Joseph James, the chair of the Yurok tribe, said, The council is sounding the alarm and taking action to address this risk to our community, too many of our families have lost loved ones to fentanyl. Now we're seeing fentanyl mixed with xylazine, which is even more dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, and I'll add to that that Yurok, the Yurok reservation has high, some of the highest rates of missing and murdered indigenous women in the whole country. And uh, you know, unfortunately what happens there is that um that area Historically, well, the Yurok Reservation and parts of it up the river, it's very rural and there's not a lot of law enforcement there. And so probably for 50 or 60 years, it has been an area where different kinds of organized crime move in and have historically had large marijuana grows, you know, but they bring with them the other drugs and the human trafficking. And so... You know, you couple all of that and it just creates for really terrible, awful conditions where there's human trafficking. There are drugs of all kinds of sorts and people, you know, are living in poverty. And so, you know, they, they get involved in these situations and the outcomes are really terrible.
0: I think this is so important because this, again, five hours front, north of San Francisco, um, just reading right now from Jefferson Public Radio out of Southern uh, Oregon University. The hard numbers on missing and murdered indigenous women do not include the near misses. Yurok women have told the tribal court they were approached by would-be traffickers but made it to safety. The tribe has since declared a state of emergency on missing and murdered indigenous women and hired a full-time investigator for such cases. Again, this ran back in November. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think about my own experience as a Yurok woman, you know, and I, my chances of being subject to human trafficking were a hundred times higher than my chance of becoming a lawyer, you know, and that's, that's just the, the reality of it. And, and again, you know, um, these are the impacts of colonization that continue to affect us. Um, and and a big piece of what we're trying to do at Yurok is restore our homelands and restore our sovereignty so that we as a government can provide the services that are necessary to protect our people and restore our homelands. You know, we are trying to rebuild and, and in that rebuilding we are we're working on developing a, a restoration based economy you know ecological restoration um you know starting with dam removal starting with other restoration projects on the tributaries. That then helps us to provide jobs to our tribal members, you know, that brings income into our community so that we can, you know, start having, start getting our people out of poverty Um but then there's this other piece of it too which is you know we need to be empowered with the jurisdiction and regulatory authority to police our own lands right so that we can start dealing with some of these you know systematic long term um you know crimes and and uh, <laughs> um it, you know just bad
0: conditions Why are these areas targets from traffickers? Because there's a lack of law enforcement
1: and they know it. Um, Jurisdiction for criminal um, issues in in Indian country is um, complex. And in California, we are what's called a public law 280 state, which means that the state is supposed to be providing uh, criminal law enforcement on the Yurok Reservation. But the state doesn't prioritize policing, um, the Yurok reservation and never has. And they also have limited resources. And so they need more assistance as well. But the result is that there is not adequate law enforcement on the reservation. And, and people know that, and it's also very rural. It's very remote. It's, you know, really rugged land. That's difficult to, to, you know, access. And so, um, you know, these drug Lords, this organized crime, you know, they know this. And so they come onto the reservation and, um you know they and and they do their thing and it's it's difficult to um you know get them it, it it's difficult to catch them but then it's also even more difficult to prosecute them you know there's a real lack of like even if you Um, you know, do catch somebody in the act and you have a, you know, case against them, sufficient evidence, all the things. It's very difficult to get them prosecuted in, in any court.
0: Today we are speaking with Amy Bowers Cordalis, co-founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group. Amy is a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and woman, and she and others have spent decades working to remove the dams on the Klamath River, and they have succeeded. The biggest dam removal in the United States is now underway. Amy, I think it's important to talk about all these issues because they're so connected. Uh, But to take it back to the removal of the dams, to really visualize what's going to happen here, the the Chronicle writes, attention will soon turn to a colossal effort to restore the natural habitat along the river. The restoration, continuing through at least the end of the decade, focuses primarily on revegetating 2200 acres of land that will be newly exposed when the reservoirs are empty. More than 17 billion seeds are slated for planting alongside a quarter million trees and shrubs. At least 1,000 additional trees will be flown in by helicopter and dropped into the river to create pools that might have existed in the absence of the dams for bugs to gather and fish to feed. I mean, it's really amazing to just visualize the changes that are going to happen in the years to come.
1: And as you're saying all that, I'm just smiling. Um, the, so the, the Yurok and Karuk people, our, our religion is based in what's called world renewal. Um, every year we dance to, to fix the world and maintain balance between the humans and the natural world. And what we hope is that, you know, through that ceremony, through that intention, and then through the way that we live our lives, the world will be renewed. And what you just described between all of the restoration work, um, you know, the seeds, the plants, all of it, that is world renewal. Um, and so dam removal is just the beginning and it's you know, it's it is the, the largest dam removal project in history. It is the largest river restoration project in history, but it is just the beginning for, you know, the, the Klamath. We will remove those dams. They will be out by December of 2024. And the river, you know the channel will reveal itself, and then you know, while that's happening, and then into the future, we're going to tap into the the IRA funding, the bill funding for restoration projects, you know, couple that with some philanthropic support, which is extremely important, and we're going to you know restore that habitat through through really throughout the whole basin, not just within the project area um. And through that, you know, that's that's where we get to the future of a healthy ecosystem,
0: you know, world renewed. How much support are you receiving from the state and national governments?
1: Um, there is no federal funding involved in dam removal. Um there is some state funding contributing to dam removal. Um, and then there is also Pacific Core, the dam owners are or the previous owners are also contributing to it. Um but you know, it's really I think one of the things that's been so exciting about this long, you know, decades long effort is that, you know, the the and even Pacificor to their credit, um they are now our partners you know in the states the federal government philanthropy ngos the tribes like we're all working together toward the same goal of restoring this river and everybody is playing a really key you know part in in making the whole picture work, you know, making the 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 helping us get to actual world renewal through ecosystem restoration. And so everybody's contributing, whether in big or small ways. You know, and, and I I I think that's one of the key messages too for folks who are looking towards creating ecosystem wide, you know, landscape, watershed wide, and even planetary change is to present a rational path forward, you know, whether you're working with business, whether you're working with states or federal governments, you know, what you got to do is figure out what is the rational path forward that, um, you know, puts on equal footing the rights of business, the rights of indigenous peoples and the rights of the environment. And, and I think when you can present, you know, a rational path forward that equally values nature, people and business, that's how we can get to this large scale, you know, ecosystem wide restoration. And, and I, I also want to be clear here that you can make money doing that. And I think that's one of the important messages from the Klamath is like we can continue to, you know, promote capitalism and make money off of, of ecosystem restoration. Right. Um, so it all works.
0: <laughs> well, let's take a caller before we go to break. Let uh, Before we end the show, let's hear from Stephen in South Carolina. Hi, Stephen. Nice to know you're listening yeah. from South Carolina. I'm oh, glad when I get to. I don't always get to. I wanted to uh, congratulate your guest on this landmark act. Um, I was involved in the 90s with a group in the Carolinas, Western North Carolina Alliance, in challenging FERC renewals, and we had some moderate success, though none were really toward a removal of a dam. Uh, I have two questions for you. One is, what is the future of Ridges to Riffles with this successful Conclusion, uh which is still in progress of course uh and two are there any organizations indigenous or otherwise that are looking how to better incorporate uh the indigenous cultures and faith into applying them to uh the, the mainstream uh culture and how we operate in general thank you so much and thanks for calling in and we have just a couple minutes left amy Okay. And that, that is a great question. And thank
1: you for joining us today. So the future of Ridges to Ripples is that we will continue to support Klamath, um, you know, restoration through these restoration projects, through water rights work. But then in addition, what we hope to do is expand our model and serve Indian country at large. Um, you know, there are various places across the country where, um, you know, cultural and natural resources still need protection. And we hope to, to provide, you know, the technical, the legal, the scientific work to support tribes in that area. Um, and then your second question is so important because a key of what we did on the Klamath was try to incorporate the traditional ecological knowledge of the tribes, right? And tribes across the country have, you know, thousands and thousands of years of anecdotal knowledge about how ecosystems work. And, you know, when the tribe feels it's appropriate to share that, it's extremely valuable knowledge and data that can be used to, you know, better manage natural resources across the country. So, you know, groups like, um, the National Congress of American Indians, um, the Salmon People Project, some of the, the tribes, um, up in um, what I call salmon country, which is really the whole Pacific Northwest. They're working on that. Um, the Bears Ears Coalition. That's another good one that is working towards incorporating traditional knowledge into land management pra- practices. Um, you know there there's there's Indian country is on the rise and is organizing, and it's really, I think a really exciting time to be to be a part of that movement. Thank you for the question
0: yes, thank you and and so exciting, Amy. I mean, I again, I just think about the young people and what this means to them, knowing that they are going to be involved in restoring the river and to see all of these positive changes know given that it's a, like you say, it's a tough time for the tribes in your area right now with poverty and drugs and missing and murdered indigenous women. But this is giving people something to be part of to see, you know, positive changes for the, for the next couple of generations.
1: That, that is exactly right. And, and it start, it's always been about our river. And so we heal the river and we can heal ourselves. And that's how we start addressing those other problems as well.
0: Amy Bowers Cordalis is co-founder of Ridges to Riffles Indigenous Conservation Group. That's an organization whose mission is to help indigenous people protect and restore the natural and cultural resources they rely on to maintain their identity and sovereignty. Amy is a Yurok tribal member, attorney, and fisherwoman whose family still lives at the village of Requa at the mouth of the Klamath River. Amy has played a critical role in the removal of the dams along the river. Amy, thank you so much for sharing all of the information about the dams and the activism, and thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. And you can learn more about the removal of the dams, what it means to the tribes, and also Amy's work at yourcallradio.org. Thanks to Malihe Razazan for producing today's show. Thanks to Kevin Vance for engineering our show. If you have a show idea or a guest idea, you can email call at kalw.org. You can listen to past shows there and share the links with friends and family at yourcallradio.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.